So Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, right in the middle of this confrontation, uh, it now just moves right into the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. This is the whole purpose of the Lord. They're not going to have the freedom to worship and serve the Lord. And we're going to see there's some specific descriptions in the differences of culture that are such that as the slaves, they're not able to exhibit their God-given rights of worship. They're, they're forced under the paganism, forced under the false teachings, the false belief systems of the Egyptians. They're subject to those ungodly systems. So here in verse 2, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Now, keeping in mind that this was one of the chief gods of the Egyptians. So throughout this process, God is touching those things that they venerate so highly. Um, you know, the Nile River uh, you know, and all of its water supply turned to blood. Now, you know, they have the subsidiary God, which, you know, works in conjunction with their Nile River God, the frog gods, you know, work together. So uh, now they're being, oh, you so you worship frogs, you like frogs. How about, you know, more frogs than you could ever imagine? You know, you want this, you want it in your life. You know, the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom on your bed, into the house of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and all your servants. Sound pleasant, ladies, to have frogs just on you, you know, and in the refrigerator and in the oven? In the oven. So you start the oven, and now you're like several minutes into, what is that? And it's frog. You know, you're dealing with this all the time. This is going to be a horrendous thing that they have to contend with. This isn't just the kids being really excited uh, while the frogs are in town. This this is an absolutely disgusting thing that you're having. You know, at first, you might have a momentary thought of, well, how unique and original until, you know, they're in the kneading bowl. You know, you've just finished making spaghetti and turn around and is this a frog and yeah you know well, welcome to the plagues is exactly what the lord is doing for these people and i do mean he's doing it for them then the lord spoke to moses say to aaron stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams over the rivers over the ponds and cause frogs to come up on the land of egypt so aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. So far, the magicians just keep neck and neck with whatever Moses does. You know, Moses has got his demonstration of supernatural power. Well, we can do the same thing, is their attitude. Quickly, what they're going to be required to do is going to become extremely unpopular. And so they're going to stop doing it. And they're also going to be affected by these plagues personally themselves. So this is just an effort 
to sort of keep face in a very strange way. They can reproduce the same supernatural occurrence as Moses does. Now, how do they do that? Well, we could speculate all day long. Uh, it doesn't matter how they do it. it. It is just the idea that they're capable of doing it, and that is supposed to, in the mind of the unbelievers, erase any accountability to God. If God is sending these things, and that's a sign to you that you should repent of your sins and start cooperating with God, uh, well, if your own magicians can do the same thing, then the idea is you don't have to really be accountable to that one God because, I mean, after all, anybody can do it. You just diminish you know, the authority of God in any way that they can. So uh, Moses, you know, Pharaoh was calling in Aaron and Moses and treated uh, them that they would speak to God to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, you know, accept the honor of telling, telling us what time this is going to take place. It does seem to indicate in the original language that there was a specific hour set, and that's been lost, so they simply reduce it to where he's saying tomorrow. The idea is there was a specific time where everyone was waiting, and suddenly these frogs are all going to die. And it's going to be as though it's at the word of Pharaoh, but we know it's at the word of God. You know, what Moses is trying to do for this man is help him understand this is a fight between you and God. You're literally contending with the God of the universe. Name the time. Okay, that's the time. Tomorrow the frogs will all be gone. And sure enough, it's going to unfold that way. It, to me, you guys, you've, to me, I can't see anything but the graciousness of God in this. He's trying to reach Pharaoh. He's meeting him right where he's at. He wants this man to repent. But you're not going to. God already knows that. So, okay, we'll just go all the way down that line. Why do that? For our sake. Right. If 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 none of this detail is recorded here for us and we just hear about this unearthly punishment that God is bringing upon these people, then you can make some assumptions about God and his character and his wrath that are more unforgiving than he really is. God has a great loving, benevolent kindness about his person at all times. He can't change the character of himself. He wants Pharaoh to come to repentance, but you're not going to. Okay, so let's move on. He's meeting him right where he's at all along the way, trying to help him come to this place of repentance. So you've named the hour. The frogs shall depart from you and from your houses. They'll only be in the rivers. Moses, verse 12, went out. From Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word 
of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Then Pharaoh saw that there was relief. He hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said, just like the Lord had predicted. Heaps of dead frogs. Just, you know, there are certain environments where you don't want certain things decomposing right in your midst. You know, it, like in the middle of the winter, you know, it's mostly refrigerated. In this Middle Eastern sun, mounds of frogs just hanging out, that's going to be ugly really, really quick. It's going to gather flies, all things are going to just turn south. Jesus in the New Testament tells us that he's the rock that we should build our lives upon. Uh, later, Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, Jesus says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. You know, any of us with any degree of maturity at all in our relationship with the Lord know that it comes through brokenness. There's a process the Lord takes us through. And that's how all growth and maturity occurs, is through brokenness. You're going to be broken, so how do you want it to come? You want to do it through your own willful submission and humble your own heart and experience God's growth, or are you going to wait until the circumstances just collapse on you and grind you to powder? Because it's coming one way or another. In the end, it's humility. We're talking about how do you want to acquire the humility? Do you want to do it through genuine self-sacrificing humility? Or do we wait until it's humiliation that brings us to that place? It's a very simple process. Submission is the one key element that makes it very different to go through. Just surrendering yourself to it. Better to throw yourself on the rock and be broken. 8 verse 16, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod, strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, before you move on, while they worshipped a lot of weird things in Egypt, including the dung beetle, okay, so their, their standards were extremely low. They did not worship lice. They thought of them as a vulgar thing, something so disgusting that only the most loathsome would ever experience. That, that was the mindset of the Egyptians. Uh, this is part of the reason that when we were reading about Joseph, it said that the Egyptians despised anyone who was a shepherd, a herdsman, because of the lice and the insects around the animals that could potentially infect or affect human beings. So the Egyptians had this mindset that herdsmen were particularly gross because of lice. On top of that, <clears throat> this is also why the incredibly wealthy were hairless. They would go through a great process to be shaved. And when you see that particular strange haircut, on all the hieroglyphics and depictions, those were wigs so that they could take their hair off rather than, you know, actually having hair and they could treat themselves to keep in this hot Middle Eastern desert from getting lice. 
getting nits or bugs that would live on them. So this plague to the Egyptians is a particular turn. We worship frogs, so there's frogs, right? Yes, they're in the oven, and that's really annoying. But after all, we worship. Now lice are showing up. That's not on their menu at all. They're 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 not, you know, accustomed to this. So they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, struck the dust of the earth. It became like lice on the men and beasts. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. What did that look like? You look down at the ground and the whole place is just crawling. There's no escaping that. I mean, if this whole situation hasn't given you the heebie-jeebies up until this point, I mean, it's really got to start to make your skin crawl when you think about this. The whole ground is moving now. No, this is on every man and on every beast. They could not. This whole idea, the magicians uh, so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on the men and the beasts. They could not, or maybe even perhaps they would not. Maybe they had it, but lice are an abomination to the Egyptians. Frogs, we worship. You know, so we can make frogs appear out of the Nile and out of the streams. Sure. Oh, but make lice appear. Yeah, that's beyond our control. You only stay with the lie and the illusion right up until where it's no longer beneficial to you. You know what I'm saying? And these guys have done that in one way or another. They stop where it's going to be a gross offense to their Pharaoh. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. The Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Again, we don't know what that's all about. It could have been worship as he goes to greet Ra, the sun god, and look at its rising over the Nile River. Or it could have just been as simple as we said that he liked to take his morning coffee, you know, next to the river. But Moses knows where he's going to be. This is his morning routine, so we'll go out and meet him. You know, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses, houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But notice verse 22. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Now, before I carry on with that idea for just a moment, there's something to examine. Because we're going to see more clearly in the next circumstance, Moses and Aaron are traveling in and out of this territory. And it seems as though as they go, the plagues don't affect them. So it doesn't really matter that the plague is going on in Egypt, but not in Goshen. There's a greater miraculous occurrence taking place each time these men come before Pharaoh and make their statements. 
it's plain to see these men are unaffected by everything else we're affected by. It gets more clear as we move on. But here you get that first delineation of now Goshen isn't experiencing the flies in which my people dwell. No swarms of flies shall be there in order that they may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be, and the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. That has to be one of the most unpleasant experiences when you're just surrounded by a cloud of flying insects. I mean, bad enough that the Benz 100 is not keeping them off and you're just like smashing yourself silly and now they're flying into your eyes and into your mouth. I mean, you really immediately begin to think, like, I got to clear out of this environment. Like, you know, I was going to go fishing, but never mind. You can't do that here. This is home. It doesn't matter where you go. They're just completely inundated with this horrible thing. And they're so numerous. You know, the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Decomposed. In what way? How does that work out? Well, I mean, flies do eat stuff. And they do also leave droppings. And if you've got millions, if you could weigh these things by the ton... This is going to be a horrible experience, uh, you know, something that we obviously have never seen. Before. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God in the land. And without saying it, we're being told Moses and Aaron come in from Goshen to them. What does this look like? You know, we're going to see here shortly that they come in and it specifically talks about how the plague that is currently taking place is not affecting them. Is there just like a clear air bubble around these two? Flies everywhere on everybody and Moses and Aaron. And it's just like force field. I don't know. Something to that degree is happening in that they're not being affected by the plague that Pharaoh and his household are. So call for Moses and Aaron said, go and sacrifice to your God in the land, not out of the land, in the land. Moses said, it's not right to do so. For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then they will not, uh, will they not stone us? Won't they kill us if we do? It is probably the sacred bulls that are being referred to. Uh, Moses probably has uh, at least enough of an understanding of what God has communicated to him to know that bulls need to be sacrificed in what the Lord is going to ask them to do to, to worship him. And the people of Egypt worship the bulls. So where you know, the abomination is more. They, as Israeli people, view this idolatrous thing as something that you know, shouldn't have anything, you know, honored attached to it. It isn't a God. It's their idolatry. Now they're going to kill it. 
before the people. It's sacred. And there is an application there, and it gets a little more clear as we move on. But the worldly people will watch you in your life and the things that you sacrifice to the Lord, and they might not ever say anything to you, but they're offended by your sacrifice. Little as it may be, big as it may be, they're not taking that same thing out of their own life and giving it to the Lord. Time, money, resources. And you are. So they have to say cruel things about you, talk about how you're nuts and, you know, somehow defame your worship of Jesus Christ. So here, you know, Moses is just practical. It's not, it's not going to make any sense for us to perform these sacrifices inside Egypt. We'll go three days, verse 27 says, journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. We don't even know entirely what it is we're going to have to sacrifice. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. You know, say some prayers for me. You, you may have noticed things kind of stink around here. If you could get some of that strained out, we'd agree. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to do what the Lord is requiring of me. But, you know, I've noticed that you've got some kind of connection. So if you could use that for my influence, I'd really appreciate it. To me, I listen to this, and it sounds exactly like the world I live in and the people that I communicate with and all that surrounds me. Now, maybe you <coughs> have different inter, you know, experiences. Then Moses said, verse 29, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and treated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Uh, what a, an amazing, miraculous thing to just have the world's worst problem you know, in your environment, at least as far as what you've dealt with so far. Please pray for me and my people. And he prays, and they can't find a single fly the next day. I mean, not one was found amongst them. That is amazing. And yet, you know the outcome. This whole point of what the Lord is saying here, right? We often say we need to be in the world, but not of it. We're going to have all kinds of struggles along the way. There are going to be all kinds of things that we have to contend with, but we do need to have a separatist's mindset. One that has firmly established in our thinking process, I do not belong to them. I'm not of the world. They're a different people. It's not a hatred. In fact, if anything, that's the greatest love you can extend to them, right? Because any one of them can become a child of God and join your family. But here's the deal, brothers and sisters. You're never going to be able to go back to them. Doesn't happen, right? I heard a 
old preacher say to a man years ago, the reason that you're unhappy is because you have so much Jesus in you, you'll never be content with the world. But you've got so much of the world in you currently that you can't find your contentment in Jesus. There's only one answer to that, and that's get rid of the world, because you ain't ever getting rid of Jesus. Anywhere you go, he's going to be right there in your heart and your mind. So you got to clear the conscience. you got to clear the relationship. Here, this separation that God wants, you know, understand, Egyptians left with the Israeli people. They joined them. Is, you know, Egyptian people said enough of this junk and religiously became Jewish and traveled with them. You're an example to the world around you. By living the simple life, by backing away from all the things that the world offers and people think you're a weirdo because you don't share their opinions or their views or their tastes. That's a good thing for us to stand and lead people away. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 17, the Lord says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Lord wants us to have an attitude of separateness. Love them. Reach out to the world. Invite them into your family. But have that clearly defined heart of separation. Exodus chapter 9, looking at verse 1, Then Moses said to the Lord, I reversed that, didn't I? The Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the, of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now have you noticed that that's what the Lord has said each time? Let my people go, that they may serve me, that they may serve me that they may serve me, that they may serve me. It's in their bondage that they're unable to serve the Lord. The Lord wants them free in order that they could find their fulfillment. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle, in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. The Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Now, as we move forward into this, know and understand that the reason you see Egyptians with livestock Shortly after this is because of what the Lord just said. He's not going to kill the livestock that belongs to the Hebrew people. So when all the other livestock is wiped out and then the Egyptians are in need of livestock, then they go to the Hebrew people and either take it by force or purchase it from them. Again, these people being a blessing to everyone, they're salt and light preserving the community. So everything you have, is going to be touched by this severe pestilence, and I'm going to do it at an appointed time and spare my people. The Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. 
Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. And the heart of Pharaoh became hard. He did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will be, excuse me, it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it shall cause boils that break out in sores on men and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. They caused boils that break out in sores on men and beasts. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. So now they don't even have power over anything that's occurring to reproduce it or stop it upon themselves. You got to understand how serious a disease this is that God has released upon them. I mean, if your if your brain didn't automatically click to this, this is the most dangerous of circumstances that a single disease is affecting human beings and the livestock. That means the spread is uncontrolled. You can't isolate anybody from anyone. You got all kinds of carriers. So whatever this is, is unthinkably dangerous. It can be spread from human beings to animals, back to human beings. Everybody's got it in the whole circle. This, this is as serious a circumstance as you know, a population could experience. And you see that automatic hardening of the heart. No one is able to withstand the, the power of the Lord at this point. Moses uh, excuse me, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Now that hardening we've talked about a little bit. This one moment, we're going to see it a couple other times described here. This is literally God hardening Pharaoh's heart. But one more time for the clarification between Calvinism and Armenianism, it's more along the idea of God confirming the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Okay? You're going to be mad? You're going to behave this way and react this way? Let's just go right down that road together. God, God is agreeing with the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. You want to be stubborn? You want to be angry? Uh, you're not changing. You're not deviating your course. I'm just going to pour it on. The thing that's making you mad, I'm going to pour it on so hard and so fast that it'll confirm the anger, the bitterness, and the hardness that you have in your heart. We want to be very careful about that sort of condition in our own person. You, you leave a thing unchecked long enough, and you know what is it? It becomes a character. It isn't, you know, a behavior. A behavior can be modified. You know, a character. You know, actually, a portion of your person, part of your personality, right? Somebody goes through a situation. That makes them bitter. And you look at, you know, the circumstance and realize they've been wrong. This is terrible. You know, uh, what this person or these circumstances put them through, no wonder they're bitter. But then you see that become actually part of their character over time. It isn't just that they're having to contend with those circumstances and those emotions are sort of being generated. They've adopted it to themselves 
so strongly that's now how they become known, right? Probably any, every one of us has gotten angry from time to time. Probably every one of us knows someone who is just angry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They just, they're like every, they're like, oh, there he is. He's going to be mad. You know, it just, it, it is his person. It is their attitude. And it's sort of what God is doing here. It's, it's much less God saying, okay, I want to make Pharaoh hard. It's more the attitude of Pharaoh is nothing but hard. Okay, let's fuel that. You know, I send plagues, he gets mad. Okay, well, plagues are still coming. This is how it's going to be. So here, <clears throat> the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and did not, uh, he did not heed them. Just as the Lord had spoken to Moses, then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. At this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. And if I had struck out uh, or stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. If I unleashed my full capability upon you, none of you would have survived. You know, you've got this attitude like, you know, you're just getting beat up. I'm holding back is what God is saying. I'm, I'm doing this in an effort to bring you to repentance. But indeed, for this purpose, purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, in that you will not let them go. Behold, Tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall become or, or the hail shall come down on every man and every animal that is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. Again, notice the graciousness of God. This is coming. It's going to destroy all this stuff. But if you listen to me and you get the, your newly purchased livestock, you know, because everything else has been wiped out. So get that undercover. Bring in these things for protection. So you got to understand the rebellious heart of Pharaoh and these people that will not only continuously resist God, but even when the warning for self-preservation is given, they're not going to heed that. Now, this truly is cut your own nose off despite your own face sort of attitude. So it's going to come down. They're going to die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock, or his livestock flee to the houses. He who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field, then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that they there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt." Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hail, fire darted to the ground. The Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, so there was hail 
fire mingled with hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that were in the field, both man and beast. The hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree in the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Now notice this. Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. No, you've sinned every time, but okay, thanks for the admission. The Lord is righteous and my people are wicked. Everyone in this picture knows that already. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more, more hail. Did you notice that Moses is implying that the thunder and the hail, which are currently still taking place, I'm going to leave and walk out through the thunder and the hail. And when I get out, then I'll raise my hands and pray, and it will cease for you. I am convinced that these men walked in through the hail and the fire in each one of these plagues, and they parted out of the way as they delivered the message to, you know... <clears throat> The poor guys they had to send, right? Send for Moses and Aaron. How many runners do you send out through the life-threatening hail before you actually get one too? You know what I'm saying? You get the spotter standing underneath. Send another. You know, I, you know. <laughs> he's not dead yet, but he's not going to make it. Just send another. You know I, what? It's crazy. What we're reading here, you know, so much of the picture, it's just laid out for us, but you really have to spend some time working through how, how did Moses and Aaron walk in? This is the sort of thing, if you're not, you know, I'm not just trying to make it more theatrical. I'm literally saying, what in the world is wrong with Pharaoh? When, when you're praying, when you send for Moses, and however they get to him, I don't know if they send these guys out with steel umbrellas or how it is, but they and they get Moses and Aaron, and you know from out there they're like, you just head back in, you know I don't know. And then when I get outside the city, I'll pray, and this will be done for you. Unaffected. I think there's a great picture being painted for us there, and how it is that the Lord is, you know, currently working in their midst. The, the, the greatest picture to me is how in the world, how in the world is it that this man isn't recognizing that he needs to cooperate with the Lord? I, I rail on that issue, and then when I stop and look at my own behavior, I, I see Pharaoh seated firmly upon my own heart's throne sometimes and recognize the stupidity that we all put ourselves through. So here... You know, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand. You know, the man and beast, and now they've, you know, come in. And, you know, when I've gone out of the city, I'll spread out my hands. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not fear the Lord God, 
Now the flax and the barley were struck. The barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. So the barley was ready for harvest and the flax was nearly there. It was almost ready to be harvested. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they are late crops. The Lord is recording for us here, even in this tragedy, his graciousness. He hasn't completely wiped them out. He's left them with a food source so that they can have uh, the wheat and the spelt uh, from this. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and thunderings had ceased, yet he sinned more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the people or the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Chapter 10. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God, of the Hebrews. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. They shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fall in your houses, the houses and all your servants, the houses and all the Egyptians, which neither your father nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were in the earth to this day. He turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? You know, are you not paying attention? Are you living inside your Pharaoh bubble? You can't see that we're all just getting pulverized out here. Verse 8, so Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. He said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, our sons and daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let your little ones go. That is a full-on threat. That's not I mean, essentially, if we just worded that out in English, it would be if you take your kids with you, I'm going to kill them. Your children are staying here. And he says that more plainly uh, in this language. But he literally threatens the lives of the children, saying they're, they're not going. You can say what you want to, but you know this idea of your God better be with you to protect your children if you take them with you, because I'll make sure that they don't survive is the implication. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, 
for what is that for that is what you desire and they were driven out from pharaoh's presence so pharaoh's told them you can go but not with your children and the lord said to moses stretch out your hand over the land of egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of egypt and eat every herb of the land all that the hail has left so moses stretched out his rod over the land of egypt and the lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night when it was morning the east wind brought the locusts this is actually how work uh locust swarms move more commonly than any other way they alight into the air and the wind catches the mass of their bodies and they're blown they they do not you know fly their way across great bodies of water as much as they're blown uh, to the locations that they're going to be. They, they're often referred to as the hand of God because they come in this sort of natural, supernatural way and then they just devastate everything that's there. Uh, if you've not seen locusts, if you're thinking grasshopper, yeah, grasshopper's the idea, but uh, you're looking at an insect that's more like a flying Vienna sausage. Those things are huge, you know. They're big around as a small hot dog flying through the air. You know, they, they, from feet away from you, you can feel the pulse of their wings in the air. They're big. I mean, if you hit a mass of those on the bike, they're taking you right off the Harley. It's not, you know, these things showing up is as devastating as you can imagine. And you guys been in the South and experienced the cicada? That that is crazy, you know. I we were down uh, Maryland uh, several years ago. Now they cycle uh, in their birth cycle in like seven year increments. I forget how that all goes, but uh, anyway, we were at the peak, and it was billions of them that were hatching. So these things are sort of locust like slash grasshopper coolness, and uh, they make a noise that collectively when they're making the noise together it has this rise and fall eerie pulsing sound that just goes night and day wow it almost sounds like a siren it's kind of strange while we were there in maryland warning signs posted everywhere like after every song after every news clip on the radio if you're in low-lying wet areas do not open your car windows the sound can deafen you in less than a minute. 190 decibels. You know, any of you guys that have worked in industrial settings, like there's there's few earplugs you could use that would save you from that. Devastating. Insects. Just God will use the small, measly things in collective numbers to push you to where you need to be. Here, not going to listen. Bring on the grasshoppers. Let them have everything that's left. Moses stretched out his hand. The Lord brought the east wind. It continues. Now the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them.
for they covered the face of the whole earth. So the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or in the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. I had I saw a picture uh, where this had taken place, and uh, the entire uh, landscape was barren, and there's like two tree stumps standing there. And then in the explanation, uh, it explained that what you're looking across used to be an orchard of some kind. The trees were all small, delicate things. They've been chewed, right? You, that now you can just make out like all these little wisps of what's left of the stalk of the tree. They've chewed everything, right, to like bone bleached white wood and dirt ground. It's an amazing creature when they show up in force, what they're capable of doing. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. You can almost see like Moses and Aaron at this point as, you know, Pharaoh begins this whole thing where they're like, you know, just like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you know, like, let's just get to the point. Have you learned your lesson? Are we going for round number 10 here? Are you going to continue to resist the Lord? I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and treated the Lord. The Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the children of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven. There may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. And that's very specific in the original language. It may be as simple as it was so dark that it gave the people the creeps. You know, they had an intense emotional experience with this all also. But it seems to imply that there was a physical sensation with the darkness, that it was so dark that it had some type of physical attribute to it. I don't, you know, people say that sort of thing all the time. Oh, I went home to visit the relatives. Man, they needed church. That place is so dark. You know, it's no darker than the neighborhood we're currently in. You, know, you just haven't met all the heathens that live around us right here. You know, you're very attuned to what's going on spiritually in that environment. The feeling is emotional. This has a tone in the original language that implies there's a physical sensation with the darkness. Look, if you can make it so black that my eyes will never adjust to seeing anything, that's bad enough. Now you're telling me that it's going to have some creeping sensation of Physical? I don't want to experience this level of darkness ever. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. There was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Notice this description. <clears throat> they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise 
from his place for three days. To what the Holy Spirit said, no one got out of bed. Are you telling me it was so overwhelming to even children that they just stayed in their place? And, and that parents stayed in their place, unable to find? I have no idea how far this goes. But this was a darkness that held a supernatural capability to it. Look at this. All the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. This has got to be an eerie thing to experience, to be in this environment and see what's going on. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. You know, this this whole thing Pharaoh has been doing of I'll let you go, but only you can only do this much. Our culture does this, right? You you believe, but why are you gonna force it on your kids? Let them make up their own mind. Parents. Let me just say very bluntly, that's the dumbest, ungodly advice anyone could ever give you. If that's your own advice, and you've got that tucked away in your heart somewhere, please go deal with the Lord about that. I love what Billy Graham said, particularly about dealing with children and forcing it on them. Billy said, look, I know that what people are saying is, they're scared they're going to chase them away from the faith. Billy's asked the question, are they in the faith currently? No. So you're making a strong presentation to them that might cause them to run away. He said, what are you worried about? They're going to end up in hell number two? If they're already headed to hell, then you ramming it down their throat isn't really a danger. They're already headed to hell. Say what needs to be said. You know, don't keep your children back from worship, right? I often say, all growing up, I had a very serious drug problem. I was drugged to church every week by that woman. Made sure that I was walking with the Lord. You know, this, this statement, Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 18, therefore, you shall lay, lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Teach your kids. Make them go to church. Drag them to those teen events. Make sure they know the Lord. They're going to make that choice on their own someday. But we aren't going to look back and think, oh, if only I'd done a little more. Do everything that it takes. Look at verse 25, Exodus chapter 10. Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take 
of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. You know, okay, great, you go to church, and now you're making your kids go to church. I mean, are you seriously going to give 10% of your money to? Are you in a cult? What's wrong with you? These are the things we're going to hear. People are going to look, oh, you can take the kids to church, but you're taking your livestock too? Wait a minute. How much are you giving to that missions organization? Your child, you're going you're gonna to pay for your child to go to a Christian school. You're going to pay for your child to go to a Christian college. you got all these other opportunities. you got all these other ways. Nothing's changed over time. When, when, especially when you're walking out of the spiritual bondage of sin into obedience to Christ, there are always going to be those there who actually have some authority in your life who try to insist that what you're doing is somehow wrong. You, you can go, you can't take the kids. You can go, but you can't take your checkbook. You can go, but you can't take time off work. They, they've always got these excuses. Follow the Lord. Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you've spoken well. and will never see your face again. And there's a very ominous turn at this point. I'll just close with a reminder from Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus, you know, saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This worship these people are being called to is all-inclusive. It involves everything of their family, their house, and their livelihood. That's what we're called to, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. As long as we're going to try to compartmentalize God. Oh, well, I have God over here on Sundays, and you know, even on midweek study, it the rest of the time, it's all me. You're going to find that you're enslaved if you continue down that road. What Christ wants for us is the absolute freedom. No restrictions. Open door for him to have access to all of our person. Let him reign in every area of your life. Amen? Well, we'll uh, pick up with chapter 11 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father, I thank you again for your graciousness and your love, the way that you just extend your kindness to us, Lord. We have to confess that as much as we see ourselves as the children of God, we also recognize the behaviors of Pharaoh in our own heart and our lives. Help us to not be hard people. Uh, We would be in submission to you, that you would perform your work and your will in us and through us. Guide us and use us until we're together again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.